Good morning, vendors and non-vendors alike, and welcome to the Republic City Dispatch, a radio program covering Nickelodeon's Legend of Korra series. This week, plot lines begin to connect as Korra intends to search for a way into the spirit world. Mako is unsuccessful in his attempts to warn absolutely anyone about Varric's duplicity, and hey, where did Boomju go? Or maybe our hosts know, Matt, Devendra, and Joanna. Hello, welcome back to Republic City Dispatch. This week we're talking about The Guide, a follow-up to um, this epic two-parter that we had two weeks ago. And then we got a bye week, so we've all kind of been drowning in theories um, from then. And, and thank you to everyone who submitted fan art to Republic City Dispatch last week. That was awesome. What a great way to spend the week we're not watching the show. That was amazing. Sure. Um, oh, all those cuddly sky bison babies. Um, I'm Matt Patches, and, and with me, as always, Devendra Hardawar. Hello, hello. And Joanna Robinson is back by popular hello. demand, I should say. You're, you're, okay. you're a fan favorite. <laughs> you say Defeated so. Dave in Mortal Kombat. I think they're tired of just all the men talking about Korra. <laughs> we needed to really spice it up. Blueberry Spice headed it up. Um, yes. And yes, Dave, Dave is not with us today because he is surprising his girlfriend. He's doing something very sweet. Um, and I don't think there's any love triangle going on over there. No drama in that romantic relationship. So thank God. Um... Why don't we recap this episode? And because Dave's not here, uh, we're going to turn it over to Cora. I opened a spirit portal at the South Pole, but then Unalak turned out to be a bad guy and wanted to take control of the South, so I sort of started a civil war. But when I went to find some help, I was attacked by my cousins, and then by a giant dark spirit, and then I forgot who I was, and then I met the first Avatar, and then I realized I shouldn't have opened the portal in the first place, and now I need to close it again. I knew this would happen. I knew this. I knew this would happen. <laughs> uh, and this. Just before we get into the episode, I want to remind people that um, you, if you if you listen to this on SoundCloud or on Tumblr or on Coronation, please jump over to iTunes, subscribe to the podcast, listen to all the back episodes, leave a review and a rating. It really helps us get out there and have people talking about Cora. Um, just help expose the podcast to new people, and that's the best way to do it. So iTunes reviews and ratings. Um, why don't we get right into this, guys? After this kind of epic um, tangent that we took. Two weeks ago, we're back with Cora. Cora has, has had revelations. She knows they're at the Southern uh, Air Temple because of some meticulous planning on Tenzin's part. Was this a satisfying like re-entrance into the Cora plotline for you guys? I mean, I, I thought it was fine, just in terms of reconnecting everything we've learned so far, because we're seeing we're seeing how um, everything in that epic double, pa- you know double episode how that all impacts everything happening now and uh i think the pieces are just kind of fitting into place uh not much action really no action in this episode um just yeah a lot of there were some dark spirit bats that they had to (laughs) squash it's a lot of plot movement and unfortunately it also features I think one of the most annoying aspects of the season, which is very, very simple misunderstandings from very smart people. So that is really annoying to me. That feels like a plot contrivance, um, talking about something that happens later in this episode. But beyond that, it is nice to see Korra reunite with Tenzin, although I guess it's kind of strange that they have no clue what's been going on this entire time. They've been really cut off, apparently, by Tenzin's design. They've been off the grid. (laughs) They unplugged for their (laughs) vacation. That's That's what a great vacation is, right? (laughs) Leaving all your technology at home, your connectivity 
Gotta put it Boomy's away. Boomy's like, I can't even use my Blackberry. And Tenzin's like, no. But you know Tenzin's never going to take a vacation after this. Like, this is what happens. when Tenzin, <laughs> Tenzin t- Vacation Tenzin is officially dead. We have our first death of book two, Spirits. It's yeah, Vacation Tenzin. To this is what happens when Tenzin takes a vacation. Yeah. Joanna, what did you think of this episode? Um, you know, it, it was it had to be a letdown after the last. It kind of had quarter. to be. Yeah, um, and it, and it felt like table setting. You know, just getting Cora where she needed to go. But I did like the the reparation of the of the relationship between Cora and Tenzin because that really that was a black mark on Cora's record to reject him the way she did at the beginning of the season, and it, it goes toward back towards us liking Cora a bit more. Um, when it's been hard to do so this season. I was about to say, I think after scanning Tumblr after the episode aired, people finally are back on the Cora train a little <laughs> bit. They're respecting her. She has her stuff together, and she's she's bouncing back. She's thinking things through. Good for her. Sure, um, sure. I, I don't re- know if that's an organic growth. I I mean, this is this whole w- thing. Juan's like entrance is a bit of a deus ex machina. Sure. Exactly. <laughs> I also feel like this uh, the whole amnesia thing is like the shortest amnesia like implementation in a show I've seen. Like she has amnesia for like in between two episodes. But you're happy then, about that. I mean, you don't know, want I'm her fine. to have amnesia. I just think it's kind of funny. It's like, oh, I have amnesia. Oh, I don't now. Uh, right. She could have been like just have... dying. Right. She didn't have. She could have just been all beat up, and she had to go get a dunk in the in the dunk, dunk tank. That's yeah. what I was saying. Other shows don't have a magic dunk tank with you That's know true. connections to the original Avatar. <laughs> if they did, amnesia would not be a problem anywhere. <laughs> All these sitcom characters who lost their memory for like one or two episodes, they just needed a spirit dunk tank. The they should, no, they just need to hit their head again in the exact same way. And then, oh. yeah, I think that's what happens in Phenomenon. Right? He has like backwards, I don't know, backwards stroke. Know. That's the Avengers technique for uh. changing people's personalities, I guess. <laughs> there is a revelation here that I thought was really interesting that Tenzin never entered the spirit world. And just because it, it kind of shows us that this character who's been so wise and just so... Uh, very put together for this entire series to kind of have such a huge vulnerability. Um, thought that told us a lot. Um, but at the same time, I do think they maybe spent a little too much time on his petulance in terms of uh, keep trying to do to get into the spirit world when he kind of knows it's tough for him when, you know, the fate of the world is at stake. But so, don't you think, I mean, that's why I love this episode, actually. I Well, mm-hmm. there's some things that detract from it being a great episode, but I really love this arc um, because it finally pulls back and tells a small character story. I feel like we've been going big, 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 mm-hmm. and all these big themes and ideas and plots, and finally we have just an episode that's about these characters and this little thing that bites, that kind of eats away at him. Um, and Tenzin reminded me so much, I mean, this is an episode about father, it's an episode about episode about teachers. Um, I kept thinking about mm-hmm. like that first. I imagine most people have this experience uh, one way or another. But I mean, I, I remember seeing a teacher have a, have an emotional moment for the first time when I was in high school. You know, someone you uh, a teacher that you really admire, that you study under, that that you just love because they can bestow so much knowledge upon you, and then they reveal that they're human. They have a flaw. Um, and that's like a devastating thing. Like, oh my God, you're, you're, in, you're fallible. Um, mm-hmm. that's, that's scary. And I thought that about Tenzin too. Like I, he can't, he needs to keep this up. He needs to be the wise sage. He needs to be the last adult airbender around and kind of uphold the banner of Aang. Um, and he considers himself a failure in 
Aang's eyes, and he considers himself a failure in his daughter's eyes, which I think is really interesting. There's a lot going on there, and you can feel the weight because it takes him so long to kind of finally um, accept all this failure and say, well, I just can't do this as a human. I think that's I think that's pretty devastating. Yeah, and it's an occasion for the siblings, right, for his siblings to sort of take his role a bit or you know at least he he's gonna go uh, a long way towards understanding them mm-hmm. and their frustrations and their limitations um yeah you gotta so love i thought Boomy's that was nice line. for that relationship boomy's line yeah. welcome to the i disappointed dad club yeah <laughs> i love, <laughs> I love the idea of this i definitely love that they're exploring this doll i just feel like there are at least two there are several scenes too many of tenzin really really hammering his I don't know, stubbornness home. You here. didn't need like the incense and the bell and exactly. The, exactly. the new location. And okay. I get it. Yeah. I get it. But then it, it offered us up. He does this amazing airbending dance as he's like making all the incense go around the, the meditation circle. I loved that. I thought that was like the best animation I've seen from this particular studio all, all season. Mm. Just these like <sighs> hand motion dance, airbending dancing. Awesome. There was a shot. I know we'll get there, but there was a shot when they were go, like, like going down the waterfall on the on the sky bison with the bunnies like sort of flying all around them, and the animation just looked so flat. And I was so sad because I was like, this should be a very majestic shot. And right. It looked so flat and terrible. It felt so. like they were just kind of wide shotting for the sake of mm. not animating the conversation. Within. Yeah. But then on the flip side, I mean, I like. There were a lot of wide shots in this episode, and um, as people who follow the Coronation blog probably know, they've been posting a lot of these painted backgrounds that they do for the show, these these hand-painted, these beautiful backgrounds. And I feel like we got a lot of that, especially with the Southern Air Temple and around this meditation circle, just all these amazing backdrops. And even little things like, I loved being inside Mako's apartment, which is just like meticulously constructed, even though the drama that we're watching within is kind of dizzying. Um, I just enjoyed being there because it's like, man, he lives in an apartment. This is a real apartment. Um, <laughs> He's got posters on the wall. It's the little things for me. Yeah, he does. He has a uh, fire ferrets yeah. poster. <laughs> yeah. I want one of those, by the way. <laughs> Seriously. Love that. Um, well, it's interesting that um, you thought that that arc took too long, the Tenzin stuff. Did it pay off for you, Davindra? I mean, where we go with that it, it's interesting, the mm-hmm. dichotomy between Tenzin and Janora. I think Janora's situation is really interesting in that she acknowledges that she can communicate with the spirits. Obviously, we got some adorable dragonfly bunnies this episode. <laughs> Everyone loves them. Um, boom, boom, <laughs> June. And, um, but, but she's afraid to speak out about it, which I thought was interesting mm-hmm. because we're obviously a family of people who communicate with the spirit world. We're very meditative. <laughs> Why are you so afraid to tell people that you communicate with spirits? You look like um, – what? Harvey. Uh, yeah, it's Harvey. It's basically yeah. Harvey, um, especially mm-hmm. when uh, – yeah, in that intro, uh, who comes over? Maybe I think it was her mother it's who comes Tenzin. over. Oh, it's Tenzin, Tenzin who's first. just like Tenzin, looking yeah. at her and she's dancing around and it's like, what are you doing, you psychopath? Well, the cut was amazing because she's like dancing with the bunnies or whatever and then she turns around, the music cuts out like immediately and the bunnies go away and it's just like – Oh, Janora. Uh. <laughs> you do look like a psychopath. <laughs> Invisible friends, sure. <laughs> 
But then you would hope that someone would be like, wait, you know, spirits can be invisible sometimes. But no, no. No, well, no, that. but that's about her aunt. Her aunt based on nothing. Her aunt based on Janora sort of staring off into the middle distance was like, Janora, do you have something to tell us? I suspect <laughs> you're friends with spirits because you're staring wonder, off. Especially after Milo, if Tenzin is just like, man, do I have another insane one? <laughs> I have another crazy child. Um, but but how, I, do, how I, do you I, feel about how that whole thing played out? Because I just thought, I thought that mm-hmm. relationship was interesting. I was wondering what was really keeping Janora back. And if maybe I underestimate how true that is to life. If, if a little girl would really feel that endangered by her, her, her dad's stubbornness. And, and what... Um, I don't even know. Like, I don't think this episode successfully connected the fact that she was hiding it because her father didn't have this. Because they didn't know that Tenzin didn't have this. Otherwise, you know, she probably would be doing it on purpose. Um, I, I, I feel like she had this thing and she's a child and maybe she just didn't quite understand the scope of it. And when she realized that Tenzin didn't have this, she realized how important it was. And then we saw her act a little more maturely. Like, she was the one that pulled him away at the end to be like, hey, uh, maybe let me do this. Um, and I thought that was kind of interesting. I just, I wish more of this Janora stuff was set up um, earlier in the season. We kind of got the brief glimpse at the, uh, right. her and the statue. This question has been lingering season. for, yeah. since episode two. And that was, that was a scene of, only a few seconds. It was really short. We didn't know what it meant. And then there was really not much with her leading up until now. You know, so a lot of stuff was up in the air. I also really wish that we got kind of hints that uh, of Tenzin's own weakness and insecurity in the first season or even earlier this season. Like, I think that would have made this whole revelation that he can't, that he's never been to the spirit world so much more stronger. What uh, The thing that we talked about, I think, when we podcasted about the second episode was the question of why cast this young actress who plays Sally Draper and Mad Men like obviously Janora is going to be doing something important because of the voice actress that they've cast Mm -hmm. in this role and this is like when we finally see her you know the whole wise beyond her years like that's the thing this actress has down pat and so um, I was really glad to see that come to fruition is that how she is on Mad Men? I don't, I don't watch Mad Men, but I'm curious about oh, yeah. how Sally Draper is amazing. Yeah. Well, what's yeah. her what's her deal on that show? Is she, does she have uh, a relationship with Don that's very standoffish? Or yes. Oh well, yes. yeah. Especially now in the later seasons. I mean, you know, they've been at it for a while, but yeah, that she that actress is capable of. I think she's the best outside of Game of Thrones, the best child actress on television. She's Ooh. amazing. So. Um, I I am not a daughter believe it or not, but um, <laughs> I felt like Tenzin yelling at Janora, or at least yelling with her at her in the room, you know, she can't do this, she's too young, um, may have hit home for people. Uh, am I crazy about that? May- Joanna, you might know better than I. That just, like, overprotective fathers and, and what daughters are capable of, like, that felt very true to life. Even if, Devendra, as you mentioned, um, these these two paths that these characters are on never quite um, converge in an elegant way. Um, I still felt like that relationship was something new and exciting and, sure, and sure. scary. It just, it shouldn't be new is the thing. Like if I, I would have preferred hmm. it to be built up, but it's nice that it's there. It's nice that we're actually finally getting to see some more nuances in this relationship. Cause yeah, there's some episodes where we don't even see the kids at all, or there aren't really many deep interactions with Janora and the other kids, you know? 
Right. I think I feel so often the kids are there for sort of comic relief. Mm-hmm. Um, and in that interaction, it was interesting. I thought it was Tenzin's like last, like holding on to his petulance, like being an overprotective father. Yes. But also just not just not yet willing to give up the idea that he's the one who's meant to do this. Mm-hmm. And it, she it's has to a bit about up. Yeah. 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 Um, obviously, Janora and Korra make it to the spirit world. Um, but what they don't realize is that Unalak is in the spirit world, yeah. which felt like a, the weirdest subplot of this episode. I just was like, is this just a reminder that Unalak is part of this story? I mean, why would he in, why would he ever think that he could open the spirit portal with water bending? I don't, I just thought that was like, you're such a cunning evil doer, bro. You can't use bro. water bending. Bro. Uh, bra. Um, but there it, are yeah. three of them, bra. Like yeah, maybe just... three people can <laughs> yeah, yeah. We can open the like... spirit portal. <laughs> <laughs> what is going on here? Sorry, I don't know what. <laughs> <laughs> it's the California influence. I apologize. Um, but I think that scene was interesting because we heard we saw Unalak going into the spirit world before. He's just like popping in and out. Just like saying hello, yeah. I, I don't know. Just visiting. Um, I, I think the idea that he would just keep trying to do this thing at the expense of his children's lives tells us quite a bit, and maybe it tells us something about their potential loyalties down the line. Yeah, so, yeah. I mean, yeah, he's officially me of- officially evil. He's officially yes. uh, yeah. Poaf from Ghostbusters Two. Vatu is his Vigo <laughs> now. Confirmed. Yeah, he's well. He's officially. I mean, it reminded me of the season one. Um, I don't remember the character's name, so I'm so sorry. But there was, you know, that father who didn't seem to care about his children's welfare. Sato. Yeah, exactly. And Asami, yeah. And so, um, yeah, it reminded me. Yeah, exactly. Just seeing him. He's so evil. He doesn't even care about his creepy boy twin being injured, you know. (laughs) So. But can you blame him? Because that (laughs) creepy boy twin is pretty. Deska is not. He's he's kind of been sidelined too. I don't know a lot about uh, Desna. I only know yeah, about Eska. I'm sure there's lots of fanfic around these two. Yeah, <laughs> it's true. Filling in all the. <laughs> but you know, if points. you're gonna have creepy twins, you might as well have them be super water bending masters. Yeah, it's very useful. <laughs> <laughs> Always helps. Um, let, let's let's wrap up talking about this episode. Of course, we have to confront the Mako Asami <gasps> plot line here that dun, dun, dun. blew up the internet. I think Ugh. it blew it up. Um, I For some reason, I feel like this is a pretty natural thing. Like, this doesn't surprise yeah. me. And I know, Devendra, you're worried about uh, love triangles. But um, I, I guess Cora always makes me go back to my high school memories where this would be totally, <laughs> totally plausible. This makes perfect well, this, sense to me. It is high school. People are bouncing back and forth. But it is still technically a love triangle. I just, I find it all kind of annoying. But here, at least this one, like... It's organic, you know? It's You can't have Mako and Asami together. Asami, by the way, who has been pretty solid this season. Like, uh, you have you know, you have Mako there trying to date Korra, who's going through a lot. And Asami's there, uh, at, I don't know, more in need, somebody he can actually help and somebody he can communicate with better. It makes sense for them to get back together. Right. I'm just worried about the impending, uh, yeah, love triangle. Will, will Asami have her heart broken again? Dun, dun. <laughs> one week one week Mako really <laughs> well I know Bolin makes it so clear and then Mako does not acknowledge this strange thing that has kind sure. of occurred in his life he's back to the Varric hunt which kind of goes nowhere for him and maybe that's what infuriated you about this episode of Well, no, here's here's a couple irritations for me I do like that 
you could kind of blame Asami's reaction, like non-reaction to Mako's evidence mm-hmm. or theories as like you're still messed up over breaking up with Cora. Like I understand sure. you're in emotional turmoil. So at least there's that explanation as to why they don't believe their friend and brother. But um you know the other thing is Mako like he just walks out and doesn't take any threats seriously at all. He's like, oh I'm sure we'll be fine. Like makes no <laughs> precautions, you know after his interaction. Yeah. Like, I yeah. don't know. I just thought it was he has dealt with gangsters before. He should know how this works. Oh, oh you yeah. mean after he goes there and Varric clearly states, like, I want your help to protect them. But if you right. choose not to, then... <laughs> with the hmm, fire you... gleaming in his eyeball? What do you yeah. mean, Varric? What do you... Whatever, whatever. I, I don't what get it. What are you trying to say? <laughs> Be clearer with your threats. Uh, yeah, Mako does not consider the fact that Varric could probably kill Bolin and Asami in, like, two seconds. If he, hey, like, hey, if he didn't Lynn comply. Death Watch. Well, actually, I saw multiple people say that Mako is uh, the death flag has been raised for Mako. Oh. I've seen this comment a couple times because apparently people feel that um, that after this episode, Mako comes off as the most rational of the bunch. Yeah. I mean, I guess oh, yeah, he does. The most rational character in the season, yeah. But he's still he's still kind of like softballing his investigation, don't you think? I mean. Here's a guy who hired the the triple threats to do a sting operation. Why is he not being more aggressive if he truly believes that Varric? Yeah. I mean, maybe I'm waiting for this to become more noirish and more more aggressive and, and immersive right. in this in this plotting. And it kind of seems to be dancing around it a little bit too much. As if, well, I guess he's a cop and he wants to play by the rules, but he clearly does not know, play by the rules. The yeah, yeah. Um, and he kind of deserves to go to jail. <laughs> Kind of just for that. But it, this has been my frustration with kind of this whole, you know, the police plot line, everything dealing with the plot um, that Varric is building up. Because there are some pretty clear clues here. And if it weren't for the incompetent police force, that, you know, they'd probably be much further along in this investigation. I think the sadder thing is, though, that, you know, the way this plotting is working out is it's making some of the very smart and capable characters seem very, very dumb. And I'm looking specifically at Lin Beifong, right. who, you know... Which is a, a mortal offense for you as a Beifong devotee. It is, it's, it's horrible because it's like she knows, she must know that these detectives are not very smart. Maybe they're all they, she's got, so they, she kind of keeps them on staff or something. But, you know, um, to so quickly accept this evidence that is just clearly piled up in Mako's closet... Um, I feel like somebody in her position would know what, like, a uh, planted evidence or something looks like, right? right. It's generally not all there. It's there for you to go find when you enter somebody's house. Um, I wish she was smart enough to recognize that. I wish the other characters kind of saw that as well. Like, Asami has no reason not to trust Mako. I'm not even talking about the, the breakup. Like, they've done so much together. They've gotten so close why would she even suspect that he was doing something wrong? And why doesn't she, like, the, the very obvious thing that Varric wants from her is that, you know, he wants her business. He wants to make money from her company. There are so many obvious things here that people aren't latching onto. So when, yeah, Mako gets arrested based on a complete misunderstanding, that's not noir. That's just dumb. Well, maybe this is just the condensed confusion that we experienced in Breaking Bad. You know, how long did it take Hank <laughs> to capture Walter White or to out him? Except as, as that Heisenberg. was actually a mystery. You know, that was actually <laughs> a well-constructed, you know, way of uh, everything 
like, yeah, we saw a lot of examples of Walter White kind of giving hints to Hank and then Hank slowly figuring them out. Uh, definitely none of that in this series. Well, and also Hank had a, had a reason why he wouldn't see, you know, That's he true. had right. his perception of Walter and also his own pride. Like there are various things about the Hank character that got in the way of him seeing the truth. And Al- so, Although Mako's, I mean, as you said, like Asami is desperate to have future industries back up and running and she's kind of falling for Mako again. Bolin is a movers star. You know, he loves Varric. Uh, why, why would any of these people really want to point fingers at him and say that he is the Breaking culprit when, when they're hell- yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, yes, two, so two caveats on uh, uh, this whole string of thinking. One, uh, as I say time and time again, Jessica Fletcher from Murder, She Wrote would have had this mystery wrapped up in like two <laughs> seconds. Um, I think Nancy Drew would have figured this out. Party boys, name your, name your kid. No, you, you need Jessica Fletcher because she has AIDS. Like Brown, yes. <laughs> Um, and two, I, I I, this the is Rugrats. The Rugrats on a good day, they've solved some. They had mystery they solving on the Rugrats. Tommy definitely had like a Sherlock cape that he yeah, put on yeah. sometimes. Wasn't there another there Encyclopedia Brown type character that I'm trying to think of <laughs> that it's not Encyclopedia? He's like the lower rent Encyclopedia Brown. If you couldn't afford the the fees for Encyclopedia Brown, you went to this kid. I don't know, Harriet the Spy. <laughs> Um, Wikipedia Brown. <laughs> Wikipedia. Oh my gosh, gold mine. <laughs> um, and and my second speculative comment, um, kind of touching on what you were talking about, Devendra. You know, in a perfect world, I feel like Mako and Lin Bei Fong would kind of team up and solve this mystery together, so we'd get yes. more Lin Bei Fong action. Um, I wonder if there's a real demand, um, and this is pure speculation, just like to have a certain amount of characters to for production wise, like it's too much. To be able to weave all the characters back in and like have it have Linde Fong and Mako team up and still have Asami and still have Bolin and now we all these new Vera characters and blah blah blah. Um, I wonder if that's just a, str- a strain on the animation studio. Well, I but something and I thought. Also, about. is it so inconsistent? I mean, I don't know about your love mm-hmm. history with Linde Fong, Devendra, but like, is it so inconsistent with her character last season who was like, who hated Korra for no, for no reason for a really long time. Right, but she hated Korra for because uh, you know of her former relationship with Tenzin. But she eventually became somebody who fought really hard. Like she gave up her powers yeah. to fight on Korra's side. So if she's the Commissioner no Gordon of this universe, exactly. then she would go exactly. rogue and figure this out. She wouldn't necessarily Definitely. play by the book the whole Definitely. time. And we already saw so that arc of her dealing with you know not trusting Korra, not trusting Tenzin, or just not wanting to deal with these young whippersnappers. I felt like we dealt with that in the first season. I don't know what's driving her this time, especially when like any anybody with a brain can see that you have civil war brewing, you have people who could potentially profit from it, you have really rich uh, tycoons who are manipulating something to kind of make themselves look good, like. I don't know. I, I don't want to excuse it that this is just a kid's show and that we're overthinking it because I don't feel like we had this problem in the first season right. or even in the you know, in the last Airbender. But you know, the, the um, Civil War could be a real wag-a-dog situation for this investigation. <laughs> sure. You know, it's really kind of distracting the police force. I'm, I'm projecting We don't here, see them but... doing anything, though, right? <laughs> well, and I just... They're not... <laughs> That's true. I love that... Um... The that this kid's show, like, I don't think I would never accuse you of overanalyzing, you know, like, th- this show has proven time and time again that it is worth analyzing at the depth that you are. But I love that this ostensible kid's show has a war profiteering plot, yeah, a yeah. Dick Cheney plot. Like, it's so, it's so, it's such a great show. 
They actually mm-hmm. say war profiteering in this episode, I believe. <laughs> they they call him a war profiteer. Um, two, two things that I wanted to bring up before we end here. Um, comments that I saw kind of floating around online um, that I was just curious what you guys thought. Um, one of them is, is people wondering if Korra will be able to bend and actually be an avatar in the spirit world. And I didn't know what necessarily... I was the reasoning there. Maybe because Aang in Avatar The Last Airbender wasn't able to bend. I My memory is fuzzy on that one, but I was curious. I don't if, remember, but I mean, Ulock and the kids were able to bend. Yeah, everyone seems yeah. to be yeah, able to creepy bend. twins can bend, Korra can bend. Yeah, and Juan was bending when he was in yeah. the spirit right, world, right. I think. Um, and that leads me to my other question. Because we are seeing Studio Mir, the animation studio that did um, the beginning, part one and part two last week, they're returning to the show and, and kind of doing the rest of the episodes. I wonder if you think we'll see Juan again um, interacting with Korra now somehow. I have no idea how that works, if he could just appear. and I mean, I guess um, past avatars have interacted with dead avatars mm-hmm. um, in the spirit world. If they could somehow team up and what that would mean... Like, what does Korra have to do to fulfill her thematic arc here in your mind? Well, like, where I, I is this like going? To fully, we would likely see her channeling one at some point, especially when it comes to kind of uh, healing these problems in the spirit world, like fixing everything and making sure that Vatu stays in prison. Vatu. Like, that would be a good Vatu. Uh, that would be a good way to uh, sort of wrap up Juan's story. It would be like his last... Um, I don't know, his last effort to right the wrong that caused all of this trouble, you know, thousands of years ago. Well, that is deep. Joanna, <laughs> yeah. I, don't, I, don't know, I don't know if you have any comments on that. Just like what you want. I mean, I, we're, get, we're in the final descent, obviously. I think most of Korra will be spit, uh, in, the av- in the spirit world. Um, so I'm curious about, like, what Korra needs to achieve or if Juan plays a part in that. I, I keep going back to these past two episodes as some sort of... Um, preface to what she'll be experiencing here and thematically and obviously physically and and that sort of thing well what i mean what were her i mean i know the answer but like what in your opinion were her big failings the beginning of the season that made her such a hard character for people to enjoy this season and whatever that is and she's already made um you know strides to repair relationships and stuff so but whatever Mm -hmm. whatever that is it's is it arrogance? Is it unwilling to... I mean, she's headstrong in the beginning, but yeah. I feel like she's calmed herself in some way. She understands that she needs to be spiritual and take a deep breath and meditate. Sure, sure. So what, I mean, what what else does she need to solve? She needs to kick Unalak's butt, clearly, <laughs> obviously. Well, but... headstrong was one thing. She was a little too proud, um, kind of irrational, like early on. It, was, it felt like a lot of teenager problems. Right. And I can understand that, right? She's a young character trying to deal with um, all of this responsibility. I can understand the show wanting to deal with that. But we brought up uh, Buffy a couple weeks ago right. where I think, you know, we with that show, we saw similar things. But it had a lot longer, you know, had more episodes a season. They had more seasons kind of to kind of deal with the issues. Um, and I, I feel like they forced or at least condensed a lot of that into the beginning of the season. Um, and it's, it's a shame. It, it's understandable, but maybe it was too much to absorb at one time. Hmm. And is it going to be... So aren't there like five more episodes or four more episodes? I think um, so. There's two more. There's an episode on the 8th episode and two episodes on the 15th and two episodes on the 22nd. So we're going to have some Korra uh, marathoning. To okay. Do 
So, and do we think that she's going to be in Wonderland the whole time? Because, and that's what I'm calling it, because when they, when they first got, when she and Jenora first got there, it looked exactly like Tim Burton's Wonderland to me, which is not, sure. not a good thing. No, in my opinion. no, but, no, no. Um, Because they're in a very different part of the spirit world than where Unalak is. So are they going to have to encounter things? You know, are they going to have their own quest to get to Unalak? Mm. You know, and so is it going to be the adventures of Korra and Jenora in the spirit world for a few I, episodes. I have a feeling that won't last too long because yeah, that separates them too much from the other characters. Right. Well, yeah. th- I, so. uh, three episodes from now, we have the episode called harmonic convergence. <gasps> and then there are still what two episodes after harmonic. The spirit jamboree. Which I, <laughs> everyone get punch. It's going to be a good time. Um, I'm actually, you know, maybe you guys can clear this up and I, I'm, I'm sure the audience can clear this up for me. I am still a little fuzzy on what harmonic convergence is. What is Unalak doing? And what does Vatu need him to do? I think uh, it was something with, I don't know if it's planet alignments. It's something celestial where, you know, if they do this thing, um, if they open up the other portal, um, they can tap into something to kind of unleash Vatu. That's what I've gathered so far. So I think Divina just said they do a thing and they can tap into something. Do a thing, yeah. <laughs> That's really all we've gotten so far. Oddly enough, I recently saw the movie Thor The Dark World, and it uh, has pretty much the same conceit. World there's, there's like a harmonic convergence occurring in so Thor The Dark World. And, according to Wikipedia Brown, harmonic convergence is an actual thing. Harmonic Convergence is the name given to the world's first globally synchronized meditation, which occurred on August 16th through the 17th, 1987, which Whoa. was also closely coincided with the, an exceptional alignment of planets in our solar system. There you go. Yeah. And the timing of Harmonic Convergence was allegedly significant in the Maya calendar. So Whoa. that's according to Wikipedia, Brown. I don't know. Well, if we have seen the planets true. actually align, so it does yes. have something to do with that. Um, yes. And we saw that somewhere. Here. Somehow Vatu will escape. Who knows? And they'll have a big fight, probably. Um, it's one of those things that the show doesn't even really need to explain that much, right? It is a thing that's going to happen, and if it happens, and if uh, we know it's know, bad, uh, well, and then yeah, yeah and then the the Korra wiki says harmonic convergence is a supernatural phenomenon that occurs once every ten thousand years when the planets align and the two spirit portals on the north and south poles overlap. During this, Rava and the Avatar must battle Vatu and spirit worlds near two portals that connect the two poles. The victor in this battle determines the fate of the world until the next harmonic convergence. But doesn't it look like Vatu's like stuck in a tree? He's definitely in stuck in a tree, world? yeah. With like the eye of Sauron, like <laughs> <laughs> yeah he's got like a little eye of sauron like not in the tree that he's peeking out through but um so is he gonna break out of the tree and then fight cora and if he wins then you know it's misery and despair for the next ten thousand years Woo! Yeah, great. <laughs> party who actually did that sorry guys this is empire Strikes back okay vatu wins the gathering of the juggalos <laughs> begins if vatu escapes <laughs> Um, and just to be clear, I looked it up, and the 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 event that happens in Thor two is called convergence. So oh. uh, it's pretty much that's that that has the nine worlds aligning as opposed to the planets aligning. Uh, very it different. Lacks, uh, the harmonicas. You need the harmonicas. <laughs> How do you make music if you don't got them? Um, let's wrap up here. I just want to hear from you guys about if you have a favorite moment or some something that stood out in this episode for you, Joanna. Um, I guess I gotta go with the dragonfly bunnies. Oh, uh, come on! They were cute. they were like it was very Harvey, but it was also like very pink elephants on parade. I don't know. <laughs> I really liked them. Is is that a Winnie the Pooh reference? 
a Dumbo oh, reference. Oh, Dumbo yeah. reference. I'm yeah. I'm thinking of the um, terrifying uh, Huffalumps or wh- Huffalumps whatever they're and called. Weasels. Ugh. Do not yeah. like that. Do not like <laughs> uh, Davindra. Uh, I don't know. Probably when Bullion calls out Asami Mako, I thought that was funny. Yes. Yes. That's about it. I was trying to figure out. He's in a pair of talons. I think when we first pick up with him. <laughs> And if anyone knows what that, I, I assume that that is a silent film reference. Not been able to figure it out. I found a D.W. Griffith film from 1908 um, about a bird stealing a baby, but I'm pretty sure mm-hmm. that's not that's not it. Uh, so if people have reference, we will continue to, that, to read as much into everything as possible. Uh, yes, I, I'm calling out annotated ATLA, who <laughs> runs an amazing Tumblr blog, who needs to figure this out for me. Thank you. Um, and for me, my favorite moment had to be I love because I love Tenzin, and I love how boring and dad like Tenzin is. Um, so when he walks in and says, "We're gonna go see the ancient statues and the ancient gods." Gardens and and then they cut to um, Milo and Iggy. I mean, Milo is blowing snot bubbles out of yes. his nose. Everyone's just so bored. I'm like, been there. That's the family <laughs> vacation I know too well. Um, well, I, I guess that wraps things up for our discussion on the guide. Um, thanks everyone for listening. Remember, iTunes reviews, ratings, leave some praise or or leave some constructive criticism. You can do anything you want; just leave it on iTunes. Um, why don't we tell the people where they can find us on the internet, Joanna? Um, Every day on Padaba.com, over on Vulture.com, or you can follow me on Twitter at Quit Your J Rob. Excellent, Davindra. Cool. Uh, you can find me on Twitter at twitter.com slash Devendra. I write about tech every day at venturebeat.com, and I podcast about movies and TV at slashfilm.com. And I am Matt Patches. I am a rogue agent of the internet, all writing all over the place, trying to put everything on mattpatches.com, my Tumblr. I'm on Twitter at Mr. Patches. And I run another uh, pop culture podcast with Dave, who's missing today, uh, called Operation Kino, which I urge you to listen to. And I write about Cora at vulture.com. Um, so definitely read those too. Joanna, are you doing any podcasts, other podcasts right now about television? Uh, yeah, I, I have one called The Station Agents that you can find over on Pajaba.com. Definitely listen to that. And until next week, farewell. Farewell.